0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're live with Mark Giuliana. Mark, first of all, thanks for being here, man. My pleasure, just came down the road, so we're neighbors now. Exactly. What a life. Exactly. So dude, I I'm, I'm I'm such a fan of your drumming. I've I've been watching you for years. I was I was really uh, excited like when I discovered you, I immediately like loved your sound and you have such a unique style and ideas, and your phrasing and everything is so unique to you, which is like the hardest thing to do on an instrument, especially with drums. Um, how did you create that? Well, thank you. That's very kind, means a lot
1: coming from you, and and uh, I think, um, well, part of it is I never really s- decided to create something. I think um, a lot of things have happened where um, just kind of head down, just keep going kind of thing. And then maybe as time passes, if you look back, you're like, oh, okay, I can see why someone may say something kind like that. But to me, it was never this intentional pursuit. Um, I think there are two, if I could like, you know, distill it into two main things. One of them would be, just allowing all of my influences to coexist in a natural way. I think when I was younger, I started playing drums in 1995. So that was, you turn on MTV and it's Matt Cameron with Soundgarden, Dave Grohl, Nirvana, Chad Smith, Chili Peppers. It's all that stuff. Um, So that's what I was playing when I first started. Mm. And then through my first drum teacher, Joe Bergamini, who I think you know, Mm -hmm. have you met Joe? Uh, I have not met him, but I know of him, yeah. Um, he uh, you know we kind of touched many different styles and kind of built a foundation and that's when I discovered jazz and that kind of kicked open this other door of like oh this this is cool I gotta check this out and that happened you know maybe with electronic music a couple years later or with this or, you know more folkloric musics and um, but like when I got to jazz school I've thought like I can't let anyone know I like Nirvana you know they'll <laughs> they'll make fun of me and vice versa like Um, you know, oh, I'm playing this rock gig, I can't, you know, I have to like dress differently than I would for my jazz gig, or all these rules that I felt like a peer pressure to kind of abide by. And then over time, it was with just developing a little more confidence of like, no, all this stuff can live together if it's all at the service of the music, you know. So I think if you can let Dave Grohl vocabulary be influenced by Tony Williams vocabulary or go into a blender with Elvin Jones and Matt Cameron and some West African djembe music or something. That stuff you'll kind of come out the other side with s- with none of the above. It'll it'll yeah. kind of Because you mentioned how did I create that? I I think it's to me it's less about the creating and more about like taking pre-existing things and just you know, putting them in that blender. And yeah, I guess you could argue that the result is something new. But to me, it's the combination of maybe, you know,
0: counterintuitive elements coming together. Yeah, the result is definitely something new. And I didn't mean that you by no means sound like to me, I don't hear all those different things. I hear you. And I think that that is like, and it's not, yeah, it doesn't sound intentional. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, you're trying to make this statement and playing this way. It doesn't sound like that at all. It just sounds like you are in a space mm. of your own that you created and you exist in. And I've seen you play so many times. I mean, and now seeing you play with St. Vincent, I got to say, you did a great job hiding that you were a rock drummer because sure, I right. had no idea. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and, when, and when you got the St. Vincent gig, it was like, what mark on st vincent and then i saw you do it and i was like mark on st vincent oh this is great but because i had seen you play you know jazz electronica everything like your solo stuff and Mm -hmm. and that kind of and that kind of stuff and so many times but but every time you sound Different and you're you're clearly evolving, but you're evolving within that space that you created. So it still sounds stylistically like you, mm. but it but there's but there's like growth and new phrasing and new ideas in it. Mm. So I think to me that's what I admire so much about you is that you created uh, like an ecosystem or an atmosphere that is like your sound that you can swim through. Cool. Can I use that on um, for my website? For like sure. Quote Put the quote. It's yeah, really nice. You, you got the soundbite. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: <laughs> but i will say if there's an one other thing that i think is kind of underrated um or undervalued is like um the idea of like sometimes i think more and more we, we, this it, at this time in drumming it's the, it's the we're hearing more and more people you know with social media and be, people being able to share things it's like the first time we're ever hearing people play drums by themselves mm-hmm. in in music you know relatively and um and we're hearing so many different people and it's more than ever tempting to be pulled by cuz there's so much amazing stuff yeah. that it's very natural to feel magnetized towards that stuff and then maybe there's this peer pressure i i think I, maybe i need to do that or i need to and i think there's a lot of power in um learning how to resist those temptations and sometimes every now and then i would i would think i think i'm i'm hypersensitive to trends in in drumming um and you know i think something can become a trendy has a negative connotation but with the test of time will you know at, at a certain point there wasn't a hi-hat in the drum set right so Mm -hmm. maybe when people started using a hi-hat that felt trendy and be like no 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 you shouldn't use a hi-hat well actually the hi-hat has stood the test of time that's a highly functional (laughs) element of the kit you know and i think more and more there are these kind of you know potential trends that we don't know what'll stand the test of time but sometimes for me i try to be really aware of like Oh, man, this guy has this I okay, he got to that first. I'm not allowed to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. something like that where it's it's a slight it's an exaggeration, but it's been helpful to try to resist these temptations, whether in a setup or things like that or even vocabulary, yeah, that might I don't know take me off this other path, yeah. You know, so when I was younger, I didn't have any of my own ideas. So I was relying on everyone else's ideas to build a vocabulary. For sure. But now I feel like there is this power and trying to resist all this temptation because then we're just filling ourselves up with other people's ideas. and, And there is a, you know, I do believe there is a finite amount of space for one's ideas you know, because we just can't do everything. So <laughs> at some point there's a limit. Yes. So if we fill ourselves up with other people's ideas, we're, it's a disservice to ourselves to truly like look in the mirror and try to figure out who we
0: are. I love that. So you just finished a year and a half tour with St. Vincent. Uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of people were probably surprised because they didn't know that you play rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, Obviously, surprising people is great, and it also just shows how versatile you are and everything. But how did how did that gig come across? Like, how'd you get the same Vincent gig? So Justin Meldell Johnson, the bass
1: player in the band, was the MD. Yep. Is the MD and one of the
0: greatest MDs in the
1: game. I mean, and bass player. I mean, he's scary. Yes, scary. I mean, music just is from my. Per- it's just so easy for. Him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, from my perspective, it's just. I mean, I remember it with yeah and, nine inch nails with Beck, exactly. and then him as
0: a producer, exactly. getting in the studio and crushing that game as Ex- well, and exactly.
1: So uh, we had been in touch a little bit, and you know got a, got coffee a couple times after I had moved, and it was always, you know, our musical lives on paper don't totally overlap, but there was this idea of like, oh, it'd be fun to try to do something. Yeah. Um, so he. Um, he invited me on and the first thing we did was SNL this is last april i remember that so yeah it was these it was just these two songs we rehearsed um you know and that was great and then that led it was still kind of the height of covid so nobody was on the road yet yep um and then we did some more promo stuff in LA and then as live touring started to happen we went out for a bunch. And it was incredible. I can't, I, I, yeah, I've, um, difficult to, um, really capture how much fun it was. And for me, the contrast to my usual world made it even sweeter.
0: Yeah. I mean, congrats. You got to play Madison square garden, got to play the forum, got to play a ton of festivals, main stage festivals. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing, yeah, these massive audiences, I'm sure the buses are nicer. <laughs> yeah, I have I mean... Catering. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I had never yeah. really... I had been on a bus, you yeah. know, a couple
1: times for a week or so, but here and there, but I'd never done true bus touring. Yeah. You know, in the jazz world, just fly everywhere, get on the plane with my cymbal bag, small suitcase, and just fly, you know. So it was really... Um, it took me uh, 40 years to get have my first drum tech, you know, wow. which I was even resistant. I was resistant for that. I was like, do I really need it? I guess it'll. Oh, <laughs>
0: all right. Let's talk about that. I think that's really important because so many people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't assume that. Cause yeah, I, I think people think of you on such a high level. So they're not thinking, even if they see you play at a jazz club and there's, it's a 200 cap room, they're not thinking like, Oh yeah, Mark brought his drums. You don't, you know, I think the average person doesn't think about that, but there's like, so much love and dedication and passion in that for you to like, like be at your level and how many years you've been at your level to just have your first drum tech is pretty pretty incredible totally and even and now that, you and now you want it well <laughs> it's it's nice it's nice but also
1: i like the the ritual of the setup and yep. the you know it's just like it's you know they're on some of these festivals the first time you see your instrument is when you're walking out onto the stage, you know, and it's like, it's dialed in for you. And, but even that, like I, you know, I'm saying it, it was great. And it it was, I'm not wishing for the opposite. Right. But on the other side of it is like, you set your drums up at three in the afternoon and already the relationship with the instrument on that stage is
0: happening. Yeah.
1: And you're like, Oh this kind of feels like oh this room interesting. So now we're not going to play for another 6 hours, but I'm kind of in that space and I'm aware of maybe what might be s- small things specific to this room that could just like help engage the you know the the process of being present and being ready to play. Yeah. You know. So but it was great. It was great. I mean, still a very simple setup um and and even that felt like a lot sometimes, you know, and, um, but yeah, it was funny. Um, there's this guy named Ed Davis who was with us last fall, an incredible drummer. And, um, he played with Juliet actually. Oh, no way. It, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and super nice guy. And he was looking after Justin and I, um, cause once the show starts, I don't have any needs from, uh, attack you know it's yeah. but justin's got these bass changes and stuff so it's more about just getting the kit set up and then done but he's a great drummer and um i learned a lot from him and and there was one of the snare drums i brought had like the factory head on the bottom the bottom snare head was like the Gretsch factory head yep because why, who changes a bottom snare head, <laughs> right? It never even crossed my mind to look yeah. under there, you know? Yeah. And he's like, dude, you got the factory head on there. I'm like, yeah. Or uh, or first I was like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, <clears throat> excuse me. And then he was like, there was this one sound check halfway through the tour. He, I show up to sound check. He's like, I had to change that head. I'm sorry, man. I was like <laughs> So it's funny just the way that learn about the level of, attention to detail and things like that for me it's it's the last thing on my mind but it's nice to be looked after yeah you know um so yeah it was great but but i do you're right like i'm so grateful for maybe um my first you know being 24 and just having a tech thrown at you i can imagine it being very hard to ever want to put your drums in a car and drive yourself to the gig definitely because to me that still feels that feels bringing my own drums feels more normal yeah. than not, you know, I think it'll always be that way. That's that new, like you were saying that
0: yeah. burned in New York sensation. Is that why you always played small kits?
1: Definitely a part of it. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, there's those, those kind of jazz folklore stories of why an 18 inch bass drum, it's like, Oh, it could fit in the back of a cab and yeah. all these things. Yeah. 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 So I definitely, um, that certainly played a
0: part. And then all your little six inch, 10 inch cymbals. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <What> Lightest. Can, <laughs> yep. yep, yep. <laughs> One ply drums. <laughs> exactly. oh, that would be nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If they can make them that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool, man. And, uh, and I know Annie, Annie's great. Introduced to me by Silva and the Silva, oh, cool. the Silva crew. Yep. Um, but I feel like you got on the gig at a really great time for her which is awesome because she's had a few different renditions of like bands over the last few years. And she's clearly, she's also always innovating her sound, every album, every tour, even now the look is changing from the last tour cycle to this tour cycle. And I feel like, uh, i in watching her play with you guys, I felt that she was, it seemed like the happiest version of herself and her sound and everything. And was just like, fuck yeah. I got like the band right Mm -hmm. now. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think her her previous rendition, um, she kind of. I don't want to s- totally speak for her, but yep. she's shared too that like they she went so hard on the angular path yep. and like you know lots of triggers. I mean Matt Johnson, yep. w- held that chair for a long time. It was one of my favorites. That's and, amazing. And the the level of sophistication in his setup and what has to get triggered when and. Where and lots of you know tracks and it, but but you know sometimes tracks gets a bad rap like oh you need tracks to pull off the show I feel like the way they were using it was like re- the super high level and like real time less so playback and yeah. more so real time usage of additional elements yeah
0: you know? they were using Ableton like really creative ways S- like, an yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like an instrument yeah exactly exactly
1: so but I think um she maybe um was just wishing for a different expression and the fact that like we were on no click and no tracks or anything just that alone i didn't
0: know you were on no click too yeah that's really cool
1: so i was even surprised i just blindly assumed that kind of everything night you know kind of ignorantly i was like well everything at a certain level is going to be on click right like oh snl yeah it's i'm sure it's click what and it wasn't you know and justin i had a little like visual metronome next to me that would just blink yep. the tempo and I would just count it off from that and then once we're in, we're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I even with Justin, you know, I was noticing in the early rehearsals, like, oh it moved a little or, you know, I look down and it's, you know, it's natural. And I was like, hey, should I like, if I've you know, you you're an organism moving together and should I like try to keep it if I see it veering off and then he's like, man, whatever, it's going to, if it moves, it moves, you know, if it's 15 BPM slower than when it started. Okay. Maybe there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, you're it, probably not going to do that. Right. Right. <laughs> no, but it, it felt like, um, a band on stage playing songs. Yeah. Yeah. It was
0: a rock show. It was awesome. Really fun. And she, yeah, she's incredible. And I really just such a joy to be around. It seemed like she had more freedom in mm-hmm. in this show. Because compared to the last tour cycle when she was dressed in her like neon latex and it was like very like mechanical, but it was epic. I I loved that tour. Yeah. And and I
1: think that her, one of her strengths is just intention, Yeah, you know? So it's like people are allowed to have preferences, artistic preferences, you know, oh, I prefer this to this, or I like the looser thing over the, but the, that's later that's yep. a later discussion just the intention of like i'm gonna do this yep is she's a master at that for sure
0: so you got the gig not from it wasn't an audition situation it's a relationship situation you guys met he lo- he respects your playing um knows who you are clearly but you developed a friendship and he was like hey let's try this and then it was just straight into rehearsal for snl
1: yeah so there was no again peak covid so there was yep. no other stuff to talk about anyway right yeah so like maybe in some ways
0: snl a- acted as like oh we'll see if this works yeah you know, um i mean it whether or not that was said it was obviously it because if you if the sound wasn't there if the vibe wasn't there you're not going to get called again. exactly yeah. exactly but even so. if they tell you ahead of time we will call you it doesn't that doesn't matter anyways. Yeah, it felt very intuitive. It was cool, man. I remember watching you guys on SNL and being like, what is this band, dude? Right, this ensemble right, right. is sick. I don't even think... I don't even think I knew that you were on it. I think it was just like a C on TV stitch so and be like, Mark? It, it was pretty DL. <laughs> Justin, into- this yeah, is yeah, yeah, sick. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Nyana, like it was like yeah. so many inc- uh, uh, incredible lineup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, how on earth, with you doing like a full tour cycle, of 18 months, have you been so proficient in releasing music? You put out a full-length album this year, you put out an EP, you put out singles, and now you're about to drop another album? How did you, when did you well, do When do you <laughs> even do this? <laughs> well,
1: the record that's, uh, well, yeah, let's see. You know, the tour cycle, technically, yes, like, SNL was April 2021 and we just, just last weekend wrapped up. So yeah, that's a year and a half, but plenty of time off, uh, you know, throughout that. And um, the record music for doing was kind of this experimental thing that I did with Pete Min over at his studio, Lucy's meat market here in LA. And um, it wasn't, we didn't even have an intention to make it a record. It was like, again, Everybody's home kinda locked down. Hey, if you wanna come over and make just work on stuff, great. So we did that enough times to the point where we had like six or seven quote unquote songs. It's quite experimental, but we had it's like maybe this could be a record, you know. So Pete had just started a, a label and he released that. So that came out earlier this year, but that was again like just a very casual off the cuff a lockdown experiment yeah and then february of this year um i went to new york did a week at the village vanguard with my band my acoustic project and then we went straight into the studio to record nice. so that was february and now we're in october and the record's coming out so that's the kind of record where we were in the studio for three days i came back home we did a remote mix for two days and it's done you know, um, so I'm excited to get that out, and you know, get we're leaving for Europe next week, and then you know, get back to playing some shows. Wasting
0: so. no time, making albums on the days off on tour. There you go. Tour ends, go. back to solo touring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. And when? Yeah. W- and what about um, sound of listening? Was that in the same sessions? Yeah. So that was the February session. It had. It has a cohesive sound yeah
1: so that record it's kind of like two records in one yep. it's it's the quartet half of the record is the songs are set up at we're, we were at the bunker in Williamsburg have you ever been out there
0: um I have not
1: it, it's beautiful where it has this kind of like modular setup where you can move some walls you could like it's all the same room or you could kind of create walls to for a little more isolation but the intention for this record is, you know, it's just a, a capturing, you know, what happens when we play together kind of thing. Yeah. So half of the record is that where you play the song and you say, was that the take, yes or no? Um, and then the other half of the record was slightly more produced, like that the song, The Sound of Listening is that, a little more overdubby and using different woodwinds and synths and stuff, but... They kind of, uh, it's kind of on the record. It's like every other track goes Mm -hmm. from like band, band playing in a studio
0: to a more like slightly more produced thing. So, uh, on, on Friday you're playing Zebulon. mm -hmm. Is that with the same group that you did the album with same ensemble? It, um,
1: not the exact personnel. It's the same instrumentation. We're playing that music, um, the record is Jason Rigby playing saxophone, um, who is from Cleveland nice. and is a uh, about as big as Joe Lovano fan as it gets. Amazing, so, props. Um,
0: <laughs> my mom's my mom's there with them right now. Oh, really? They're all in Cleveland. Oh, yeah, amazing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing. remind me to tell you um, my
1: Joe Village Vanguard story. Okay. Please. Okay. So and then Shy Maestro is playing piano on the record who I played with Avi Shai Cohen for years and years, and Chris Morrissey is playing bass. Shy and Chris can't do this show, so it's Jason Lindner who I played with forever. Yep. On piano and Alan Hampton, another like old, old homie. So it's Amazing. I try to I try to keep it in the fam, you know. Of course, I'm open to new relationships with great new musicians. But whenever I can, I try to, you know, keep reaching into the same well, because I Mm -hmm. feel like the personal relationships make such a big difference in the trust and, you know, um, the energy you've developed with them. And yeah, it's impossible to, to fabricate any other way than through time and, and the hang. Yeah, really quick. So um, for me, the village Vanguard is like, is Mecca. Like when I got to, I had the privilege to play there a few times with other people, but they invited me to come with my band. This was 2019. And it was like, okay, I can, I can retire now. I'm good. You know? <laughs> um, so we're there and we're all kind of like geek an hour. It's it. You play from Tuesday to Sunday, yep. two sets a night. And it's, so it's Tuesday afternoon. We're in there setting up and we're just like, and there's this knock on the door. The door is locked, you know, and we're like, oh, that's weird. So we're just kind of playing some more. It's like this banging, and we're like, what's going on? So, and then someone from the staff opens the door, and it's Mr. Joe Lovano. and he come. He had been playing there the week prior. Nice, but he came down. He's like, hey, cats, I just wanted to say, have a great week, you know. And I was like, this is so surreal. And I think, and for Jason in particular, it was yeah. like. Just playing at the Village Vanguard, you know, the legacy of John Coltrane and the whole thing. And now Lovano's coming down here <laughs> to like wish us a good, this is, so that was so sweet. He's such a, such he's a the good be- guy. Has he yeah. seen
0: you play? Yeah, I think, um, at, you know, at festivals here yeah. and there. Yeah. I feel like he would love your playing if he hasn't told you directly. Yeah, he's, he's,
1: he's truly
0: like one of the greats. I mean, he's a great yeah. drummer too. Yes, he is. Yeah.
1: When he, he taught at William Patterson before I was there, but I heard that, um, a lot of times for his saxophone lessons, he would just play duo. He would play drums to play with the saxophone <laughs> so students. So cool. Yeah.
0: Not to make them even more nervous. Right, exactly. <laughs> Let me go to my secondary instrument that I'm also killing at <laughs> exactly. and you play my primary instrument in front of me. Thank mm. you. <laughs> no, but he's, he's such a sweetheart and he's so loving and, uh, in, inspiring and, yeah um yeah amazing he's, he's the man and amazing. he's always he's always been like he's so family focused too like i've i've learned I, i'm i'm very lucky to come from just like a loving family mm-hmm. like and, and joe's always been since i was a kid you just like like whoa he did it right And he did it with jazz and he's like because when i was young he was like cover a downbeat exactly you know like i was like what the hell right right <laughs> i only knew what jazz was because of him because gotcha. my my dad was feeding me like Van Halen, you know, totally, <laughs> and the Beatles and Zeppelin. You know, I didn't put it together or I just
1: didn't know that you guys were related, but I was at the Vic Firth, um, uh, the VF Jams the VF live Jams, thing? yeah, yeah. Um, your brother was there, yep, who I had, you know, I was just ha- like eating food in the kitchen <laughs> or something, and I start chatting, oh, cool, you're almost rather cool, and then somehow came up he's like oh you play jazz do you know and i was like (laughs) oh of course that makes sense (laughs) so yeah
0: my brother's very easy to talk to he'll talk to anybody yes um that's great yeah joe joe my brother's a great super talented musician as well cool Uh, guitar and piano and songwriter and yeah joe's always been super super inspiring and and like to me it was like that he was the untouchable right Mm -hmm. it was just and also because he was just so cool yeah and he's just i mean it's just vibe his 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 vibe in general and it's only recently did he start understanding what Jamcard is, because he's not a tech sure. guy at all. He's not on Instagram or anything right. like, not even those apps, you know. And so I think he was just like, "What is? What is this? An app? Right? So it's like a Facebook. <laughs> I don't like Facebook. <laughs> you know, kind of. Right, he's right, a right. purist, you know. Um, and it was o- only recently where when he was like, "Oh." Oh, and then, and then I think, I don't really know what did it, but re- recently I was with him at, um, North Sea Jazz Festival oh, cool. this year, which was amazing. His set was in- incredible. Um, and, uh, and, and we had just had, a an article in Rolling Stone came out on Jam Card. That was probably right around the time I saw you, right? Or a little after. Yes. Yeah. yeah that, I saw in you Europe. in Copenhagen in July, beginning of July. Yep. I want to say it was the same week or something yeah it was like cool. right around then so I saw him like a week later in uh at North Sea Jazz Fest and uh which was my first time going to that festival yeah, I'm assuming you've amazing. played yeah and, and everything. yeah amazing dude yep, yep. amazing um but yeah but it was cool because Joe like gave me like the biggest congrats ever on just like jam card finally because it was right. always like you know like he's the number one person I look up to he's in my family I have so much respect for him and it took it took it took a while. I was like in my 20s when he finally, I feel like, respected me as a drummer. Mm-hmm. And I remember that moment was like the best moment cool. of my life. That's great. And then sim- similar to, I mean, not so much similar because I went from drumming. And in my projects, I was doing jazz and and like metal. I had a group called the Devil's Orchestra. That was an instrumental trio, super shred, mm-hmm. like Mahavishnu Orchestra on, so, yeah. <laughs> meets Opeth or something. Right, right, right. Instrumental though. And he came and he was like, power trio he like loved it because it was like cross genres and right. it was technical but it was musical and he and he really loved it and then a couple years later i started taking pop gigs mm-hmm. uh, when i was 25 and he did not approve gotcha. of me doing pop gigs gotcha. I'll, I'll never forget like i went to the hollywood bowl to see him play with wynton marsalis and the and the la phil which was incredible Was him and wynton up front and then yeah and the and the la phil and i went and hung with him backstage after and like that week i had played on ellen with uh with christina perry who's like now one of my best friends but like i'll never forget he said (laughs) this is like the worst thing anyone's ever said to me he was like he was like hey christopher because you know my real name's christopher i didn't know that elmo's a nickname okay there we go we're live on air baby (laughs) great (laughs) so he was like hey christopher nice job uh drumming on uh ellen (laughs) (laughs) wow and i was like joe come on man i'm making a living man i'm 25 you know i'm making money for the first time like i got i'm using and i was and i was i was using that money to feed my passion projects Mm -hmm. and i was obviously what i wanted to get off the ground but you know how hard that is and uh and so i was like fuck (laughs) (laughs) i fucking lost joe's respect fuck funny and then uh and then finally, and then he liked like a lot. He, he was down with the rock and roll stuff, but not like the singer songwriter stuff yeah. or the pop stuff. He'd right. probably be down with St. Vincent cause it's still artsy. Right, right, you know, right. He'd be like, okay, cool. But for with Christina, he was just like, no, <laughs> don't, That's funny, don't do that. Like it was, but I, I respected him even more for having that pure, like he, the reason why he wasn't happy about this. Cause he wanted me to do my thing. Exactly. He's like, do your yeah. thing. You know, like, so that was cool. So then, and then when I stopped to start Jam Card, he was like, what? <laughs> but now he got it. And so it's, it's, it's cool. So anyways, yeah. Big love to Joe.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Speaking of legends, um, bro, you, so you got to do the last David Bowie album, Black Star. Unbelievable. Um, I have so many questions about that, but I also, I think it, it ties into like, cause I feel like you on St. Vincent was you doing St. Vincent And I feel like you doing David Bowie was David Bowie working with you Mm. where it it was still like drum and bassy or it was like, it felt like your electronica kind of vibe and like, not just like straight, you know, Omar Hakeem Bowie rhythms or anything like that. It was very much stylized still Mm -hmm. for you. So how did you get the gig with Bowie? What was it like working with Bowie? Let's talk, let's talk for a minute. Yeah. Um,
1: So let's see, it all started from his relationship with this woman named Maria Schneider, who's an amazing composer, arranger in New York, and she has this incredible, kind of like a big band, but it's not traditional jazz in any way. But he was a fan of hers, and I think he just approached her, like, hey, could could we want to work on something together? So they had this one song, and uh, there was something... In the song that reminded her of me or something, um, and she called me and said, "Hey, I'm working on the song with David Bowie. Would you want to do it?" I, and I said, "Yes." And then, <laughs> and, then um, and then, so we sure. did that one song. So it was me uh, playing with her band. You know, we did a day at um, Avatar in New York, and he was there, and he was great. But we did a couple of rehearsals first. And um, What was that
0: like? Even there, like the initial meeting and collabing with him? Oh, it was
1: incredible. So, well, let's see. Okay, uh, she brought him to the fifty-five bar to hear us, which Perfect. is which is wild. First, so there's like,
0: before you met him, yeah. So he got to see you play first. Yeah. So, so ideal situation.
1: Yeah. Well, it, that was the thing. It was like you're you're not wrong in that. Um, it was like, because he hired us as a band. Yeah. It's it's Donnie McCaslin playing saxophone, Jason Lindner playing keys, Tim Lefave playing bass and myself. We had yeah. been playing, we made a couple records under Donnie's name. Yep. I had been Love playing. those some,
0: albums. Everyone listen to those.
1: Thank you. I, I had been playing with Jason and Tim in like different versions of beat music for years. So we all had a long relationship and he hired us as a band. So yeah, you're you're correct in saying that like he was the new guy, which is kind of <laughs> trippy, you know. Um amazing. But yeah, that first track because Donnie was in Maria's band. So mm. the, those first rehearsals, what's that rehearsal space on like 27th Street? Uh Euphoria? Mm. I don't know, if you know, it's a normal little rehearsal space and it was like David and Tony Visconti um who was producing the yep. track and then Maria it was basically the rhythm section and then like saxophone and trombone just to start Maria hadn't yet done the full arrangement so it was to like work out ideas and he was just so kind and it was quite normal and all these things you know he was there early and left late and was like hey can you run that section again i just want to record it so i could you know w- write to it at home or work on it at home just all about the music you know and super kind Wow. And uh, yeah, so that day in the studio was great. And then um, I think it was even Maria's idea. I think he wanted to do more stuff with her. And, and she said, you should just do a record with those guys. And I was like, okay. So um, he had reached out to Donnie. Donnie, you know, after they met at that session, that was he started sending him music. And then we started making the record. You know, that was at the Magic Shop in New York, which is now closed. But we did like three one week sessions. Mm. And uh, it was amazing. But yeah, he really encouraged us to like do our thing. And yeah. and on several occasions would reference like, hey, I love on that beat music. You know, we made this weird record like eight years ago, The the Los Angeles Improvisations. Jeff Babco. Tim, myself, and Troy Ziegler. And we just improvised, and I... I saw you do that at Blue Whale. Okay, exactly, exactly. So he would reference that record. He'd be like, oh, yeah, I really love what you did here. Maybe you could try stuff like that. It's like, oh, my God, David Bowie's sitting at home, like, listening to this record, you know? Um, So So many incredible things happening. Yeah, yeah. So it was... um, It really felt super comfortable and intuitive. And I think, you know, some people were like, you know, uh, many people were asking like were you nervous and it's like maybe there were like flashes of that but yeah. any time there was a moment of like holy shit this is a david bowie record i would look out and it's like tim jason dot tim say, telling some dumb joke to like you know and it's just like oh i'm with my homies it's your family yeah. yeah and and then that's david bowie over there and then the you new know? guy yeah <laughs> he's doing pretty uh, good but you know when you i'm no expert on his on his career, but when you look back, like, he, that's not, um, it's pretty consistent with, like, the Young Americans era, it's, Mm -hmm. like, hires this, like, sick band that's already kind of a community, and he inserts himself into that, too, writes new songs and gives that, that thing, and then kind of the Let's Dance thing, and then the this and the, you know, he, when he would jump around, it would be, uh, it's not so, Inconsistent with what we did, and I think the whole point, like Tony Visconti had a funny, kind of a funny line that I read in an interview. He was like, "Yeah, our idea for this record was instead of hiring rock guys to play jazz, we hired some jazz guys to play rock." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's you know obviously oversimplified, but
0: also that's kind of cool, you know. Oh, it's so cool, and that must have felt so validating. Because he loves you for your creative self and your music. It was a, a huge license. That
1: also alleviated any pressure. It's like, exactly. no, just do your thing. It's exactly. Like, and he was like egging us on. I remember a couple of times, you know, all the songs had demos with just like program parts. And I would try to be true to the demo, honor his ideas. And we would do a take and be like, okay, cool. But like, go. He even... <laughs> He even said one time he was like, Mark, I know what you're capable of, you know, something like that. Amazing, so kind of like literally, you know, egging us on yeah. and being like, No, go, go. Do you because that 55 bar gate was like we were just throwing
0: down, playing too loud and too much, and so it was that was really fun. Amazing, dude. Yeah, did you know that he was sick? We didn't know, like, his passing was a complete
1: surprise, Ugh. you know? Um, and it was kind of, but uh, I always say that, you know, like if you listen to the record, he sounds strong as hell. You know, he sounds like he sounds incredible. His, his performances, all that. So yeah, it was, um, it was a a unique time for sure.
0: Yeah. Well dude, what a blessing that you got to, that you got to do that collaborate. That's like the collaboration of a lifetime, man.
1: It truly is. And I can, I can, like point so many relationships started from that record it's i can very easily draw a line back to that record existing that like a lot of so many things since have happened
0: you know so forever grateful for sure so matt cameron's your buddy you have made friends with the childhood hero uh when was that 2016
1: i remember i like you know, the single came out, Black Star, the video, and I posted it on Facebook. And then, you, you know, you get some nice comments and all this stuff. And then there was a comment from Matt Cameron. And I'm like, <laughs> well, clearly there are, there's there got to be more than one Matt Cameron in the world. And I clicked on the profile. I was like, wait, is that him? And I sent him a message. And I was like, uh, Matt Cameron? Like, really? And then we started going back and forth and... um he Pearl Jam was coming to MSG a couple months later and met him then. And then he started sending me music. I, I ended up playing drums on his solo record. Oh, no way. Called Cave Dweller. Yeah. So that was completely wild. It's one thing to meet a hero, but then now I'm like tracking on his album. He's playing a uh, guitar and singing. He's a great songwriter. So now I'm like, doing takes in the studio and i finish a song and i look into the control room he's giving thumbs up i'm like why are you not <laughs> on drugs? <laughs> yeah so he's he's such a sweet guy and that that friendship has been super meaningful and then um so yeah that's that's one of those examples of um you know maybe we would have run into each other in as touring musicians and you i could meet him and say hi but uh, because of that record, you know, it started a friendship and, um, and then, uh, just the other day, the last show with St. Vincent was at the Ohana festival, um, in Dana point and that's Eddie Vedder's festival. Mm. And he was hanging out after, you know, he came back to just hang with us after our set and
0: Matt or Eddie, uh, Eddie. Eddie. Yeah.
1: Who I've met a handful of times. Cause Matt actually, um, Try to make it brief, but yeah, Pearl Jam. For me, I had the ten poster on my wall as we all did. You know, I mean, just crazy. So, um... so uh, Eddie comes backstage. He comes backstage, but the previous times, like there were a few like um, very surreal moments where Matt invited me. They were playing at Fenway like four years ago, and there's one song where Eddie plays cowbell Uh, that they don't play it too often, but. There's like cowbell in the track, and Eddie would just play it quarter notes, you know, while he sings. But he's like, dude, if you come to the show, you should play cowbell. So (laughs) um I sat in at Fenway playing quarter notes on a cowbell. Come on. Yeah, and it was like with Pearl Jam. Exactly. Come
0: on, dude.
1: To that point, it was hands down the most people I'd ever played in front of, and it's like just quarter notes on a cowbell, you know. That's why I went to music school. Um but then, you know, we've bu- I've bumped into those guys <laughs> over the years, and actually, in May of this year, um, Pearl Jam was at the forum, and Matt invited me to come down. He wanted to uh, play a song, paying tribute to Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. So there's this tune that Taylor wrote that the Foo Fighters would play. That so Matt went out front to play guitar and sing, and he had me play drums, and so that was cool, very surreal.
0: Oh yeah, Christian, you were there for that, right? Oh, sick. He told me, he was like, Mark's on drums with Pearl Jam. And I'm like, what is Mark doing? He's <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and then, yeah,
1: and just to make the childhood hero thing even more surreal, I look over, unannounced, I'm like halfway through the song, I look over and Chad Smith's playing tambourine. I'm like, this is just <sighs> wild. But, he was you on Cowbell at Fenway exactly. Chad Smith. <laughs> so it's been, uh, it's yeah, I've had the honor to hang out with those guys. But just this last weekend, Eddie was hanging out after the show. And again, it's like, he, we're just hanging out. Everything's cool. We're talking about Mad. But then, you know, he's like, he brought up Bowie because he, you know, because the Black Star, that that being, you know, the beginning of particular relationships. And he's like, oh yeah, I never got to meet David, but we chatted on the phone a couple of times. We both really loved plays. And we were just talking about different plays that we had been checking. It's just so beautiful, but for like, you know, it's still kind of like a pinch-me moment for like someone to, to even be associated with Bowie, and never mind Eddie Vedder thinking of me as the guy who played with him and drawing that connection
0: is, it's it's very surreal, yeah, it's to, to say the least. Yeah, I mean that album's incredible too. It's not just like a, I mean, yeah, it's obviously his landmark like final album, and with with lyrical messages that were like obviously intentionally put in there for us to understand at a later moment it was so deep and it's just but it's musically beautiful too and it's a very significant important album and it's yeah it's it really two two uh, quick little anecdotes
1: um the second to last gig we played was in Vegas so this last saturday there's like a theater in the palms and we play and then me and Jason Faulkner the guitar player incredible musician we were playing roulette after the show, just a eh, hundred bucks. Let's see what happens. And there was this really kind of you know, charismatic kind of tough East Coast like roulette dealer. But he's like, hey, what's your name? Okay, what what are you doing here? Oh, we played. Oh, you play music? Okay. And then uh, like, who are you? He said to Jason, "Who are your favorites?" You know, and Jason was like, oh, I don't know, you know, Bowie. You know, just like this list. Of it. He's like, Bowie. Yeah, man, wasn't it crazy that last album? Like the lyrics and stuff so, it's almost like he scripted the whole thing. And we were just like nodding and it, you know, it's a very surreal. Um, you didn't say anything. No, what oh, am I no, going to, no. no, you just let it go. But, but even that, He'd like, you'd be like, put it on. 33. <laughs> <33." laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but that for, for that to, you know, that guy having no knowledge of the connection, but it's like for that to have permeated so far, you know, into so many people's minds. But I will say, usually when someone says, what do you do? Oh, I play music. Oh, what kind of music? I just try to get myself out of these conversations at all costs, right? It's like, <laughs> no. If it's small, to, you're checking in at the airport. For sure. you, <laughs> yeah, what so I'm you just do? like, oh, what kind of music? Because I don't know. It's just, you know, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't avant-garde know. Avant-garde jazz, you'd hate <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> <Yes. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was this one time where this, Guy picked me up in an Uber. I had my cymbal bag. The guy's maybe twenty five, and I was living in Jersey City. And it was like two weeks after the first Bowie single came out. Oh, what's that? What's in there? Like, Cymbals. Oh, you you play drums? Yeah. Oh, and who do you play with? I'm like, ah, uh, no, really. And he was really pressing me. Anybody I would know, and I'm like, if there's ever a time, but I feel I'm like, uh. David Bowie (laughs) and he goes oh I don't know oh (laughs) man so that's the lesson I was like see that's why I never I'm like it it was like crushing me to even do it I'm like am I really gonna drop this name and then the kid didn't know him and I was like that's why
0: he's like oh I'll check is is he on Spotify (laughs) it was actually he's not it was perfect
1: (laughs) it was perfect so anyway and I bet Bowie would have loved that story. Oh, so, for sure,
0: yeah. man, dude. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you got you got Bowie on the res. You have Saint Vincent, and then obviously your music. I mean, you got Grammy nominated for beat music. Incredible. That must have also felt very validating. That was a total surprise. Yeah, man. I f- I feel surprise. like every year, maybe once a year, I go, Mark, like <laughs> about like some one of your accomplishments. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, that came out. You had out. my vote that year. It was that, a great album. Thank Love you. That album.
1: Yeah, that really came out of the blue. And that, and it kind of validated the, um, you know, uh, don't try to, to, you know, don't make art for those, for that validation. It's like in a perfect world, you know, maybe some people hear it and it gets some positive attention, but yeah. like it kind of renewed some faith of like oh yeah just like keep your head down keep going if stuff happens cool but either way i just saw this prince i'm sure we've all heard it but they're like popped up on instagram this prince quote from years and years ago of like the artist the success of a release is upon its creation like artistically the artist is like oh that's the success it's i made it like it's made yeah and then once it gets released and gets reviewed then all of that starts to change. And because you're seeing or experiencing the art through all these different perspectives. Um, But if you can hold on to like, I'm just gonna make a thing and set it free and go work on the next thing, you know, that's kind of how I try to operate. But um,
0: seems very healthy to do that.
1: It's Yeah, on a good day, I can do it. And on another day, I'm just staring at the phone and questioning my existence. You know, but, You're like, yeah. should
0: I start making videos with a new angle? Exactly. <laughs> should
1: I- <laughs> that's the answer?
0: If if Prince I- said he was like, if it's not working for you, try a different angle. Try a different angle on your cell phone. Cable. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> dude. That's that is so cool. Well, um, I would love to touch, uh, and we'll wrap up soon. But um, on family, a couple of things. So you you have. Uh, you have a son, you have mm-hmm. a wife, amazing. You have a wife that's in the arts, also a incredible singer-artist, notable uh, on on her own. Um, how do you balance being Mark while being dad, while being husband, and while having a wife doing her artistic career as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: so Gretchen Parlato is my wife and she's, I think the advantage we have is that we were both uh, ourselves before we even got together. So it's not like I've seen some, and this is not um, impossible to do, but I've seen some friends who maybe um, things start to take off inside of a relationship. And then it's this big shift and then you have to reorganize how things
0: are. and whatever. Yeah. yeah or whatever just, just it the, is, yeah. the
1: true practicality of being gone or this and that. So I think um the timing I mean with a relationship you know it's so difficult to script well you can't script how it's going to work so I feel so lucky that we kind of both had our time to dig into to our stuff and then it was like you know we had our foundation and really we're fans of each other so it's it's like we're constantly encouraging each other to do what feels right artistically Beautiful. And then for our son, Marley, it's like he, it, similarly, it's just what he knows. So it's never easy. I think it's harder for me to leave than it is for him. Cause mm. it's like, oh yeah, my dad's going to go for a couple weeks. And then just even in this last month, um, you know, with St. Vincent, we were on this Roxy music tour opening for Roxy music and we were at Madison Square Garden. I was like, I can't be at Madison Square Garden without you guys there. You know, okay, miss a couple days of school. I think it's fine. It's third grade. Life you know? experience. So, yeah, yeah, so fly, flew them out, and we had a couple days in New York, and to have them in the house is 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 huge. So you know? cool. So we try to do that as often as we can. We were all together in Europe for about a week, um, and, yeah, he just kind of rolls with the punches. Like, again, at they, they were at Ohana, and we're just hanging, and Marley was drawing some pictures, and Eddie's hanging out. He's like, hey, I want to, can I teach him how to draw a wave? <laughs> and then now, like, Eddie and Marley are off in the corner just drawing pictures together. It's like, this is, like, wait. What a cool this kid. This is so surreal, yeah. But he's like, who's this guy, you know? That's <laughs> you know? so funny. Um, So, yeah, it was very, um, it's, we just try to, make it as normal as possible. Yeah. You know, sometimes it feels a little like, whoa, this is a lot, but he rolls with, I think he's the most flexible out of the three of us, you know? He seems super cool. Yeah, super mellow. And um, yeah, it's great. It's And I think we just, um, the nice thing about for both of us, when we're gone, we're gone and mm-hmm. that hurts. But when we're home, we're kind of just home. Yeah. And we're chilling, you know? So we really make the most of that time and just hang. Yeah.
0: So you got, yeah, you got the Europe tour coming up and then you can just go back to that. Yes. Going to the family for the holidays. Oh yeah. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a nice way to wind down for the year for sure. Well, dude, you've had a big year. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I'm, let me just say, welcome to the neighborhood, even though you've been here yes. for like two Thank years. You. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah. <laughs> when I discovered how close you were, I was like, dude. This is great. Totally. Totally. <laughs> this is, it really feels like, I feel like this area, a lot of it feels like the new kind of Brooklyn, like New York, especially the Los Feliz, Atwater, Silver Lake, Echo Park, Highland Park. Yep. And there's more and more people constantly moving out here from New York. And I feel like you uh, were a big part of that, actually. Because it, it started, obviously, before you, the New York uh, exodus, even started before COVID. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, where it was like, oh, so-and-so's here, so-and-so's here. Wow, I never thought they would. And then when you moved here, I was like, Mark is here too. <laughs> wow, that, I was not expecting that. Right. And then I think a lot of other people are like, okay, well, Mark's gone. Well, no. Mark, uh, <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I'll just fly back when he's at the Vanguard. That's funny. That's funny.
1: No, it's it feels great to have um, so many friends, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, because I, um, just from coming out, this would be a frequent tour stop anyway. So I'd end up out here a couple times a year and then you're like making LA friends, but then so many East coast friends. Yes. It's great.
0: Do you feel that LA is better for collaborating today?
1: I don't know. I, I feel like, um, it's hard to say. I feel like there, if there was ever, I used to think like 15, 20 years ago, when like, people would be like, do you have to move to New York to pursue, like say, creative music, improv? Yes. Like yeah. a hard, hard line, yes. You have to be there. And I think more and more that's loosening up. Like I've, My advice to younger people is because like, it's so expensive and all this stuff. It's like, if you could get there, I know this is also expensive, but if you could do a weekend every couple months and crash on a buddy's couch, and you know, I feel like even that is more realistic now and you get a s- taste of the city without having to be there and or without having to live there mm-hmm. but i think yeah I mean, you know what makes a place great is the people right so yeah. if you can um with all these
0: friends out here i think i think that might be the case you can also use the internet as a tool. Well, exactly. Before you show up to the city, do your best to make the best digital presence you can. Exactly. So when people check you out, they're like, oh yeah, this guy's sick. Right. Oh, he's in LA. Oh yeah, I'll meet you. Oh, that's the guy with that angle. He's got that. Oh, he's the, got the right angle. Yeah, He <laughs> found it. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like on his ceiling though. Right. Like it works for him. <laughs> that's funny. Well, dude, thank you for coming and spending time talking with us, man. Anytime. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anytime. Tomorrow. Before he yep. leaves. Yep. Getting back. Well, I'll see you tomorrow at your show. Oh, Friday. Oh yeah, Friday. I'll exactly. see you Friday at the show. Really excited for that. Thank you, man. And uh, man, just keep killing the game, Mark. Thank you, brother. Respect, bro. Again soon. Yes.